hey. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for you. you I got? know. I got nothing. I'll tell you why. Because the first song that came to my head was the first song by the first artist that we're doing, which was Midnight Rider, which is not right. really his song. I mean, it's really his really song. Really his song. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, the man wrote the song. He did. And I'll give him credit for that. But uh, welcome in, everybody, to Season 6, Episode 5. It's definitely Episode 5. It's not Episode 4. And I how dare confirm. you think so? I am so sorry. Uh, well, Nick, it's been a weird one, I think. It has, but it's like been... it's really good, mostly. Yeah. We, well, you know, Let's just give a little bit of intrigue here. Of course. In this episode, we're going to talk about the solo careers of people probably more famously known well one more famously known for being in a band one more famously known for solo right the solo careers of artists who we've covered their bands before already yes and i think there's going to be drama and a lot of intrigue and mystique and also some conflicting any other uh yeah i think so i think there's going to be so magneto is going to be here uh colossus himself oh wow yeah it's going to be a real good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you. For, well, not thank you for listening. Well, We're not anything, doing the really. watching right now. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in. I'll do that to the Totem Talks podcast. Uh, it means a lot to us individually and to us as a unit. And we are a unit. And we are a unit. And I am excited to get started on this, Nick. I would love to tell you who we're. Yeah, to please do that, let yeah. us let us know who we're covering today. All right, so. Uh, our first artist was uh, in a band called the Allman Brothers Band, and his name is Greg Allman. And our second artist was in uh, two bands that we've covered so far on the podcast, uh, Jeff Beck's group and also Faces. And that is, of course, Rod Stewart. Yep, there they are. And it was always interesting when uh, when Roderick uh, popped up because you never knew when that was happening. Yeah, he, he he got around. <laughs> you just listened to him now, mate, Keith. You I mean, just he also got around in his personal life. If you we will discuss. take a look at his list of children. Oh, we will discuss. <laughs> uh, but it it was a uh, it was very interesting to to uh, listen to when we when we did faces in the Jeff Beck group on the mm-hmm. podcast earlier, and it was just like, is that Rod Stewart? Because you know, no research before listen. As I've mentioned before. Right. So I was well aware of what I was going to get into. <laughs> yeah. And you were not. But I was not because I I love right. those moments. Those are the moments sure. that excite me where I'm like, damn, I wasn't expecting Rod Stewart. Yeah, and sure. now I've received Rod Stewart. Indeed. But I was expecting Rod Stewart this week. That's fair. That's <laughs> very fair. Anyway, I think, you know, without any further adieu, uh, we can go ahead and get into Greg Allman. So yes. what I will start with is. Gregory, oh, Gregory, that's what I just said. Let's try again. Gregory Lenoir Ullman uh, was an American musician, singer, and songwriter who was obviously, as mentioned, known for performing in the Ullman Brothers Band. Mm -hmm. uh, And he was active from 1960 all the way until his passing in 2017. The three albums we covered are Laid Back, his debut album from 1973. We followed that up with I'm No Angel, which, of course, came out in 1987. Of course. And we followed that up with Southern Blood, which came out in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, just four months after his passing. Right. So before I even start talking about Laidback, um, just want to mention, if you if you follow along with us at all, or if you use the Wikipedia page to uh, to like follow the albums that we're going to listen to or look at, it, look at them... You might notice there's one on Greg Allman's uh, page that comes before Laid Back, but it is technically a Dwayne and Greg Allman album uh, where the two of them work together on the songs, aside from the Allman Brothers band. And I think that is definitely something we could do like a one-off episode on, on a couple of albums like that, that don't necessarily fit into anything else that we do, but would be still really cool to listen to. Because I'm definitely intrigued by an album that Greg and Dwayne worked on in 1972 together. I yeah. went to a handful of Allman Brothers records this week just to coincide with the rest of the listening because I was getting into it. Um, but that's that's for another time. Anyway, Laid Back, Greg's first record. It went gold, and it was really good. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. It kicks off with 
Midnight Rider. So it's a cover of the Allman Brothers version of that song. It's definitely a little different from the Allman Brothers version of that song. Uh, but it's a very good version nonetheless. Really enjoyable. Um, and then you get a handful of covers. I think that's that's probably the biggest drawback of this record is that there are like uh, four songs on here that he didn't write himself. But they're all really good versions uh, of those songs. And I don't think his original writing shows any sort of drop-off um, in quality from song to song. I think this is right. There are eight tracks on here, and all eight are more or less equally enjoyable. They're all very good songs from beginning to end. Uh, I really enjoyed his original composition, Queen of Hearts, on this record. I thought that was an excellent tune. Um, and there's great keys all over the record. That's definitely something you're always going to get with Greg Allman. Um, his organ parts are, are really well done. Um, and what I thought was really cool about this, so one of the songs he chose to cover on here was These Days. And These Days is a favorite of mine. It's a song I absolutely love. So it's a song Jackson Brown wrote uh, and then sold to other artists. And there were like several versions of it that were recorded before he actually recorded a version himself. Because he wrote the song when he was only 16. Which is wild. It's an incredibly insightful song. Like, it's really brilliantly written. And the fact that he wrote it when, when he was 16 is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. But Greg Allman's version, which is a really very good version of the song, that was the particular arrangement of it that inspired Jackson Brown when he decided to finally put out his own version of it. He really liked Greg's composition, and he kind of based what he did uh, on Greg's composition of the song. Which is such an interesting concept, isn't it? I wrote this song. I like what you did with it so well, so much that I'm going to sing the song now. Yes. Have you heard the Jackson Jackson oh, yeah. song? Oh, it's such a great song. Yeah. It it is. Yeah. But anyway, I'm all done. I mean, it's very very good start to his <clears throat> career for Greg Allman. Strong start. Yeah. I listen. I'm going to echo a lot of what you're saying. It. I honestly didn't even have the same uh, negative impact for the covers because. Unlike uh, some other artists that we've covered, I know so much of Greg Allman's influence in the Allman Brothers band. So hearing him do, you know, covers of other songs was very interesting in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, with Queen of Hearts and Please Come Home, uh, both strong in my opinion. Oh, yeah. on the A side of this, uh, I I could hear a lot of the influence of his writing. Obviously, it's his oh, yeah. writing. So it and I could hear where he fits that puzzle piece into the Allman Brothers band as well. Sure, but with things like "Don't Mess Up a Good Thing" in these days, you got to you got to hear his influence on a song that's not his own, and that's really interesting. I think like there's always a fine line you can do with covers, yeah. where there can be too many, or it can overwhelm your original writing, or that's all you do. And right. those are those are things to discuss. But I think if you just pepper them in a little bit, I'm totally okay with that. Right. And I think that these were done very well. Full agree. I don't want to say too much more. Yeah, just I, because I, when I was saying we're going to be like a, a knock. It oh, was I know. Like a just one thing to keep in mind going forward. But like, right, absolutely. Really yeah, and and other than that, we're going to echo the same things. And so I'll just go into I'm No Angel, and I'll tell you what I can't ever stress it enough when we get an album like this just having thrown them into a playlist it took me 15 seconds into the first song to know exactly what decade we were in oh sure yeah oh yeah. my lord oh, yeah. it's a southern rock album but it is an 80s rock album there yeah. is the there is everything you could believe there is like that synthy sound of the 80s there's a little bit of cheese, a little bit of schmaltzy love stuff. Um, I believe he does a song. I'm almost positive. I didn't actually look it up, but I'm pretty sure Evidence of Love has Don Johnson on it on vocals. Yep. Um, it does, doesn't it? It sounded Correct. like him. Oh, I was like, is that Don Johnson? It is. Who is who is a man of the 80s schmaltz himself. <laughs> and listen, for all of that, it's a good album. It's a good album in the 80s. Uh, it, like, the rock definitely lends itself well to the ear. It does get a little cheesy at times. Evidence of Love is a very cheesy song. Um, but there's some good moments here as well. Particularly, the, I liked the song uh, Lead Me On in Faces Without Names. 
those were two good ones uh, t- towards the end of the album. And both Allman compositions, which is yeah, great. which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was an, another a, a few covers as well. Uh, the title track was a cover. Yeah, which Although was his version. I think has definitely become the definitive version. It's the the famous. I version think so of the too. Song. I think so too. But uh, that's all. Also, yeah. I'm yeah. I now that I'm reading, and I can definitely see uh, there was a Michael Bolton written song. Yeah, which just screams '80s to me. I know. Um, but I'll just jump in. I, I want to continue the comments on "I'm No Angel." Just like it, this is. It was ten years since his last solo record, and it was such a surprise hit. Like no one yeah. was really expecting a Greg Allman song to all of a sudden start climbing the charts and to be everywhere at this point in the late '80s. And like it was kind of a big revival for him, and this record ends up going gold. Um, and I'll tell you, the first time I heard that song, uh, it's got to be almost 20 years ago now. I don't know. If, do you remember in our childhood, like the late 90s, early 2000s, there used to be millions of commercials for compilation CDs of like oh, certain times. Like, no, that's what I call songs. music. Yeah, like to all of those things are like all the best songs of the 80s, all the best songs of the 60s, all the best songs of the doo-wop era. Like, Absolutely. And all those were. And I always remember one of the clips that they always played on those commercials was the music video for i'm no angel and greg allman sitting there at the piano and um so i knew the song forever because i knew that clip of it of him singing the chorus from one of those commercials but it is a really good uh version of that song um i totally see why it became a hit overall i totally agree with you um that the 80s-ness of this album makes it a little harder to get into than laid back was um but it doesn't ruin it no, I think there's there's a big difference. Like it's still an enjoyable album to listen to. There will be moments when you're like, "All right, little cheesy, little cheesy," you know. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting choice uh, in terms of the sound that you, excuse me that you went for. But overall, I still think it's a good record. Um, it's stylistically not as the kind of thing that we're going to dig as much as his first record, but it's still solid. Uh, and I think there was a great instrumental at the end. It was actually a Spencer Davis composition um, called "Don't You uh, or Don't Want You No More." And oh, that really? was, I think, my my favorite part of the record, other than the title track. And that's going to bring me to Southern Blood, uh, his final album. So while recording this, we discussed it a little bit before we went on. Uh, Greg Allman was was dying. Um, he was he had been diagnosed with liver cancer, and he knew that this was going to be his last record. Um, and he didn't really have enough time to. Um, write all the songs for it that he wanted to so he had to kind of pick and choose uh his covers very carefully to kind of get across the message that he wanted to get across and here's what you can say about the finished product one his voice holds up as well as anybody's voice has ever held up over this many decades he sounds really really good um and the album perfectly encapsulates the end of a career the end of a life uh in a really beautiful way uh, all the songs were were great selections for what he wanted to do. The whole emotional ride of the album is evident, whether you knew the backstory going into it or not. It's it's a pretty powerful record. Um, and he actually approved the final mixes for these songs. His last night alive, like his very last night before he died, he was you know listening through all these tracks and and kind of giving the go ahead for for how these songs would sound. Uh, and I'll say because of those issues, he does only have one writing credit on here. My only true friend. Really beautiful song, though. Uh, a very well-written song. And that's all I got. Yes. Uh, well, I want to start before I say anything else uh, with a quote, because this is a posthumous release. And everybody knew going into this what it was. So everybody who's singing on this or everybody who is playing on this knew we're at the end of Greg Allman's life and we're singing it. We're singing that message. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so Don was the producer. Uh, he, he quoted and he said he was reluctant to call it an album about dying. Greg was explaining his life and making sense of it, both for the fans who stood with him for decades and for himself. Mm. And that is exactly the message that comes across on this album. Yeah, it is cure. I want to say curated, in a very particular way to encapsulate that message because it's covers, but they're covers that Greg painstakingly picked 
to convey both like the, the art he was going for in in his original writing he had wanted to put on this record mm-hmm. and also the messages he wanted to share with everybody as he was kind of on his way out the door so for from a messaging and crafting and all of that standpoint really well done and then honestly yeah like you already said it for a man who was very near the end of his life in a battle with cancer I, he just sounds so good. I he mean, really it's does. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kudos to to him for the consistency for what literally was his entire life. Yeah. And for the dedication to to craft this at, like until literally the very end. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have it. I don't really have a negative. I mean, no. the covers no. were all good. Uh, you could you could. It's hard to have a negative when you can so openly feel a message like this. Oh yeah. Like, what do you what what are you complaining about? Right? Are you going to critique it? And I mean, honestly, that's and and I will say, like, it was very well reviewed. Right? Uh, it was very it was, high critical yeah. reviews. Uni- basically, universal acclaim. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a better final album. Allman could have made was uh, what uh, Tom Jurek said from All Music. Yeah, and and I think that's just I, accurate. Yeah, I agree. And so uh, I'll uh, tell you some things about him. Yeah, let us know. Okay, so Greg Allman, and we're we're going to have a very interesting and similar discussion with Rod Stewart, but for unique, here's what I put. So the dude was <coughs> over over a 46 year span. He was married seven times, but during those 46 years and those seven marriages, only 19 of those years was he actually married for. The other 27 years, he was not. And I find that so he had like so many tiny, short, little one, two, three year marriages. It's very and, unique. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because most artists who are married seven times, you know, kill allegedly <laughs> <laughs> their spouses. He just divorced them after a year. Sorry, fuck Terry Lee Lewis. Is that what I just? Heard? Oh God, I hate that guy. Um, That's weird. I just heard that yeah. in my ear. I don't understand. It's a you should read that into almost everything I say. Um, <laughs> But I just, it's so weird that he was like seven marriages, 46 years, but significantly less than half of that was time he was actually married. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah. Now, uh, for our six degrees today, for Mr. Allman, did you know? Thank you. Did you know that in the in what is either the greatest or worst year, in our opinion, 1992, fair, uh, fair. Mr. Allman was an actor in an episode of the television show Tales from the Crypt. No, he was. He was in one episode of that show. And one of the composers of the soundtrack for that television show was our good buddy, Rye Cooter. Hey, <laughs> yeah, the old Rye Cooter reference. Impressive. Exactly. So I figured that was that was about as out there. There's like a million musical things where we could have connected Greg. Oh, yeah. To so many other artists. So I wanted to do something a little different. So. Here's what I'll say uh, for career highlights. I mean, I think there's um, a ha- like a handful of different things you could go with because obviously he's had an immensely successful career. But his, being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, and also being included in Rolling Stone's list of the top 100 singers of all time. I think I couldn't decide between those three, so I've sure. thrown that out there. They're all incredible achievements. Uh, and the low light of his career. I think is is obvious. It was it was the very very premature death of his brother Dwayne, yeah. and the way that kind of sent him and several other members of the Allman Brothers into a, a spiral of drinking and drugs and and struggles that he would have to kind of to fight with for for a long time. Yeah, I mean, way to way to end on a yeah. downer. Jeez. Well, hold on. There's the meanest nicest thing. Oh, true. There you go. And um. So Greg Allman did die of liver cancer, but he actually had um, a liver transplant before that, several years before he died, um, because of a hep C infection that he had. Uh, And then after that, he went on to work with the American Liver Foundation to raise money and awareness about hep C, doing some benefits like that. I'm sure that's the kind of thing he would also like to be remembered. Yeah, there you go. And there you go. That's Greg Allman. That's Greg Allman. It's time for Rod Stewart. Sir Roderick David Stewart is a British rock and pop singer and songwriter, born and raised in London, and he was active from 1961 until he's still active today. 
Yeah, so the whole until time. Present. Until today, and then he retired this morning. <laughs> would be very interesting. <laughs> uh, we covered three albums from Rob the Mod. Uh, we started with An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down slash the Rod Stewart album. Uh, but I, I greatly prefer An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down as a title. Oh, 100%. But the fact that it has both, <laughs> we've now covered an eponymous album. Yes, and I, that's so why I slashed that. it. That's yeah. exactly what I did. Also, I had the American version on Apple Music. So if you're looking to listen to this on Apple Music, you will find it as the Rod Stewart album, not An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down. Yes, and if you look for it on Spotify or Amazon Music, you will find neither. Uh, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Just to let you know. But um, it is available on YouTube. None of these are sponsors. Sure. Uh, we followed up An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down with Footloose and Fancy Free, which came out in 1977 and features a forlorn-looking rod on the cover. <laughs> Just absolutely heartbroken. <laughs> and then we wrapped things up with the Tears of Hercules, and that came out in 2021. Indeed. And, yeah, I guess I'll start. Please. An old raincoat won't ever let you down. Here's the thing with Rod Stewart. The man's been around a, a while at this point, <clears throat> so it definitely has that polish to it. So he's 24, I believe. I'm almost positive. He's 20, 23, 24. Right. When it came out and was recorded and all that stuff. Now, this is pretty crazy. So you have a good number of musicians and stuff that appear on this album. Yeah. Ronnie Wood and Ian McLagan from Faces. Yep. Uh, you have Keith, Keith Emerson. Emerson. Uh, you have Incredible. the drummer and guitarist uh, from the Jeff Beck group. Well, not Jeff Waller. Beck, but yeah, Mickey Waller. Uh, so you have a good number of people involved that are mm -hmm. in rod's life rod had been known at the time he's kind of like a journeyman yeah uh and we'll talk more about that when i get into his his info like nick mm -hmm. got into greg's so he's been around the block in the uk of multiple artists he's made multiple connections and they're all kind of coming together in the beginning of his solo career now this is just like greg allman's it's a mixture of covers and originals and i think just like greg allman it's a strong debut album it's a totally different genre mm -hmm. so we're in that like roots rock blue-eyed soul category now uh and i really enjoy it i think i think that it's got that classic grit in his voice that you've come to know rod stewart's sound from but not quite as much as you may be used to hearing it a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. Apparently, as I had been doing research, that wasn't a part of his early voice, like his early, early voice. Interesting. And that was one of the reasons he just kept getting turned away from like huh. he wasn't he wasn't invited to join things. He was like they kept putting him like you play harmonica. You do this. You don't sing. And then, like, as his, his voice started rasping, more and more people were like, maybe you should sing. Maybe bring that. Maybe come do that. Right. So it's very interesting. And this was kind of it, – it, it had already been starting at this point. So um, I actually really liked the title track, An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You mm -hmm. Down. I thought it was really good. It was a B-side for this. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting moment of, like, you have a B-side that's your title track? It happens. It was. It happens, but it was curious. But I also thought it was one of the strongest songs. I guess they wanted to get the covers mm -hmm. on the get A the side. Familiar, yeah, familiar names. and they. I mean, they're pretty familiar. So you have Street Fighting Man, which was a Rolling Stones right. hit. You have Man, Man of Constant Sorrow, which was a uh, traditional song that uh, is more popularly known. <laughs> no, but it's from a movie. The Soggy Bottom know. Boys. Yeah, the Soggy Bottom. I know you know. Oh yeah, I, love I was that telling movie. our. I was telling our audience. The Soggy Bottom. Yeah, George Clooney does great work on that team. <laughs> Good old George. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to say too much more. It's a really strong yeah. debut album. Vocally, really, really well done, I think. And of course, I just mentioned a lot of the musicians on it, so you know it's going to be strong. Yeah, uh, 100%. So uh, I agree it was a really terrific first record. Uh, I think the covers are very interesting, especially like the structure of them, the way he kind of changes them to be his own. Like, it's a very different version of Street Fighting Man from the Rolling Stones version for the first couple of minutes. And then it, like, kind of comes to a complete stop. 
and there's a, a measure of rest. And then it just jumps back in like full speed Rolling Stones version of the song for like the last minute, which I just thought was really, really interesting the way he kind of mixed that all that up. I agree. Uh, and there's I think one thing that's that's really cool about this record. So even though Stewart himself only sings on the record, uh, doesn't doesn't play anything else. He plays he guitar sure, on Manda Constant Song. Oh, that's right. He plays guitar on one song. You're right. Uh, but he tries to make sure that there are moments for all the instrumentalists throughout the record. There, I think it was very clear that everybody who played on this record had times to shine, especially, in my opinion, Ronnie Wood. There were yes. a lot of bass moments in here. Like There were a lot of breakdowns to just the bass, some really cool bass lines and things that, that went out like, the standout instrument behind Ron singing for me was definitely the bass on this record, which was uh, really cool. And now I will move us into Footloose and Fancy Free. Footloose and Fancy Free. Which was, as we were just kind of saying before we started, not the necessarily expecting to get. Because um, big hits on this record were Hot Legs and You're in My... Yeah. But very good. Um, definitely hits. I definitely knew those two from this record. But not not the biggest ones in my head, at least. I would have thought we would get Maggie May or something. Um, but uh, like at this point, we're five records deep for me because I listened to Greg first, and I really needed this week um, after the last <laughs> couple. Like this has been really really enjoyable up to this point. Uh, I mean, this is a very diverse record. I think he does a good job with uh, shorter track listings. Like most of his records are only like seven to nine songs, which I think is actually a really good spot because. It allows him to write like longer instead of two to three minute songs, four to five minute songs, sure. and really continue to ensure that the instrumentalists playing with him are having really cool moments and that the songs are allowed to breathe a little bit and go to interesting places. And I think it really works out like these eight song long Rod Stewart albums. I think that's like the perfect spot for him. Uh, he does a really interesting cover of the Supreme song, You Keep Me Hanging On, which is like seven and a half minutes, which I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. There's just a lot of different styles that happen here. There's a lot of dynamic range from all the songs. I, I really enjoyed this album again. I think um, he's he's really found himself uh, in this style that he's doing here. Yes, and before we get into, before I pretty much agree with you, spoiler alert, I want to say that Picking this was very interesting. So if you if you end up finding yourself on Rod Stewart's discography page, the man has a lot of certified albums. Yes, in many different countries, and it was tough to pick and decide which album was going to win the crown of being the most successful. Sure, uh, and actually, it was it was really interesting because the other choice the one that almost won i think and because i just what i do is i scroll down the list until i see the most numbers sure so i don't let it influence me uh it was one of his it was the first one the 2002 record of the great american songbook album so right so rod uh later on in the 2000s started putting out the great american songbook mm-hmm. via album and that did very well for him yeah but I think, and Nick agreed with me that getting a chance to listen to original stuff—that's why that we're, that's why we yeah. do this. So, hundred percent, we uh, we went with Footloose and Fancy Free, and I'm very glad we did. I I mean, it's pure, it's more pure rock than the Blue Eyed Soul of the first album, mm-hmm. but none the worse for wear, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's strong. Obviously, Rod Stewart's a strong vocalist. I think he yet again brings in really good musicians and, as you mentioned, Nick, lets them shine. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important parts. Absolutely. He, he lets them shine. Because it feels like Rod Stewart, even though he's a solo artist, like he's got a really good knack for, for creating albums that sound like a full rock band, like a band that's really clicking where everybody feels like they're of equal importance. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like some singer where it's like it's the me show and I'm singing the songs like with Rod Stewart, you really get like what feels more like a rock band than a rock solo artist, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And fun fact, uh, the drummer for this album Mm -hmm. is uh, Carmine Appice. Oh, yeah. Who is Vinnie Appice's uh, 
older brother. Yeah, I'm sure we've talked about Carmine a few times on here. I mean, we pr- we probably he's did, played but... with Jeff Beck a bunch, so yeah, but just interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like I... if you look at the list on of people who played on this: Nicky Hopkins, Steve Cropper, David Foster, John Mayall, Andy Johns, Paulinho da Costa. Uh, like it's it's a pretty cool list of of folks who were involved in making this record. Yeah, I I agree. I just it was interesting. Also, we had Andy Johns, the younger brother of Glenn. Of Johns. Glenn, yeah, uh, and it's strong. I mean, it's it's super strong. Really excited, and with a voice like Rod Stewart, uh, I'm really excited at this point to get into the last album. So this, because because this is a voice that I would consider when you have that grit and rasp in your voice, but it it doesn't sound broken. So there's different kinds of rasp. I'll get into real quick. There's one where it sounds like. Uh, where you get someone that sounds like almost like that Eddie Vedder rasp, mm-hmm. but not with the marble mouth, but like the rasp in it, mm-hmm. where that sounds sustainable. And then there's like that more like, like, like uh, if you're getting like the ZZ Top rasp, yeah, where you're like, that sounds like you're hurting yourself. Sure. And Rod has the first one, always. So we'll get into the Tears of Hercules here. Came out in 2021, and it's 44 minutes and 31 seconds long. And that's 44 minutes and 31 seconds too long. Uh, I, I disagree. Okay, fine. It, it's not quite. It's 40 minutes too long. Yeah. For sure. It's not quite that bad. Here's the problem. It felt like an old grandpa, like, who's desperately trying to relate to his grandchildren via music. Sure. Uh-huh. Like, that's what it, it just felt like. A series of musical choices designed to try to to youngify Rod, mm-hmm. and that was not a good idea. Um, I can say that it uh, for the independent Roshin O'Connor described the album as a twelve-track cringe fest, where Stewart celebrates carnal love in between songs about his late father. And I think that review sums up exactly how we should all feel about this album. Yeah. It's it's just, it's honestly sad. Um, vocally, I was correct. He holds up okay. Mm-hmm. Not as well as expected, I will say. But he is 76 at this point. Right. So not quite as well as expected. There's a little more uh, degradation than I had thought was going to happen. But it's still within that range of like it's still Rod Stewart. It doesn't yeah. sound like a like a broken record moment of like right. you should turn this off for the vocals, but you should turn this off <laughs> for the album. Yeah, you know it's funny that you said that because I thought they were going to be a lot worse. Because I'll say what doesn't happen nearly so much, or at least in a way that's not particularly noticeable for tracks uh, two through twelve, but happens a ton of like. I heard the first song and I was like, oh no, the amount of audible production and auto-tune that went into making his voice sound like it could sing this is concerning. Sure. But I really only heard, I like, I, I, and I don't hear the auto-tune nearly as, as clearly as you do at times. It was very obvious on the first track. Oh, but, 100%. But really, mostly on the first track is where I noticed it and it like took me out of it. In terms of like just like oh the vocals aren't there. Afterwards, it seemed like maybe they actually were for the most part still there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, there's not a yeah. ton of degradation in terms right. of right, but there's it, some. It, it sets you up to think that there's gonna be. That's true. And then it definitely doesn't do any yeah. favors. No, I mean the 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 music is bizarre. It's it's like electronic dance pop most yeah. of the time. Like mo- well, it's it's Rod Stewart. It's seventy six year old Rod Stewart singing about sex and like being explicit about it and talk and like in a way that no one really needs to hear a 76 year old being explicit about sex over electronic dance pop yes and it, like who was asking for that i don't but again like, it feels alienating with, to everyone it's coupled with like poignant moments of singing about the death of his father and the last that's so the weird last song was really good the last song, and I watched, I had this up on YouTube, so I watched the music video for Touchline, 
And the last song is all about his father and his love of soccer and the way he kind of instilled that in him yeah. and the way that he wants to instill it in his sons. And there's tons of great video in the music video of like a young Rod Stewart in his 20s out on the pitch running around and video of his dad talking to him. like it's really cool. Like they must have found all these old home movies that he had and, and all this video with him. It's great. Like that was a really cool four minutes. The rest of the record I really could have done without. You didn't like the song Kukuara Mabamba? No. Is that the one where he is like being most the most explicit I about it? I believe so. One, yeah, it's like, <laughs> dude, you're 76. I just, like, good I, for you. Like, that's great. Continue having fun in your life. But why are you telling everyone about it? Like, I will say uh, the se- the last two songs made the whole album more worth it to me. So he also covered mm-hmm. Johnny Cash's These Are My People. Yeah. Which... Was nice. I mean, Johnny Cash, a poignant man at times, very reflective, and that's a one of his more reflective songs. And then Touchline, again, yes, very poignant, very beautiful. If this, if the entire, I want it. If the entire album was seven minutes long, yeah, it would have been an A plus for me. <laughs> it's the fact that it's forty four minutes long. Yeah, I mean that that's stuff, a little just, bit of a problem. You got to wonder, like, who is listening to electric pop? Stewart. No one who Stewart is probably all that interested in electronic dance pop. So, like, you are what correct. Was this cross section that they were trying to pick up on here. Yeah, I mean, here's what I'll tell you: you can you can look at the musicians on this album, and just like you did before, where you were like getting the vibe, you get the vibe because the first credited musician is Rob the Mod himself, and then you have Kevin Savigar, right? And he's credited with keyboards. production. And yeah. programming. Yep. And there you go. He's credited with the second, the second listed person is programming, yep. and also a credited writer on almost every song. Yep. So it just yeah. is what it is. Uh, yeah. There was also a, a, a tribute to Mark Bolin that was, uh, yeah, rather rather sweet, mm-hmm. uh, which is from T Rex. Again, plenty of opportunity for six degrees here. Absolutely. Uh, same but- thing with Greg. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where you're going to go, because I think it's time. Yeah, so let's let's get into some of the facts. And I'll tell you, these are the—I these are the, I wrote it on the back of a, of a Rite Aid uh, bag, like a prescription bag, and they're the ramblings of an insane man. So I'm going to do my best. I don't know what, what hellfire I was going through when I wrote these. Oh, that's great. But, but I'll get into it a little bit. Uh, so the unique thing— and I want to, to be very clear. What, like this is something that I know other people have done, mm-hmm. but I think my unique moment for Rod Stewart is that he was in seven bands in his career. That's pretty impressive. Can like, you name them all? Um, that's exactly what I'm doing right oh, now. Oh, thank goodness. So he started with uh, Jimmy Powell in the Five Dimensions, which I believe ended up just being called the Dimensions at some point. Uh, so then he was in The Hoochie Coochie Men, which, love the name, yeah, uh, followed it up with Steam Packet, then Soul Agents, and they were, you know, at the same time, so 65 and 66 for both of them. Mm-hmm. So this is all, I mean, seriously, he was in yeah. Jimmy Powell and the Five Dimensions in 1963, 1964 to 65, The Hoochie Coochie Men, 65 right, to right. 66, both Steam Packet and Soul Agents. 66 to 67, he was in Shotgun Express. Right, which is 67, super cool. yes. Wait, hold six, on. Did you mention that's with Peter Green? From well, that was going to be my six degrees, you swine. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just And also yeah. Peter Martins from Canada. Yeah, again, which is why it was going to be my six degrees. It's still going to be. Okay. Uh, 67 to 69, he was in the Jeff Beck group, which, you know, that's also a six degrees right it there is. from us covering it. And then also... His most well-known foray into being in a band, Faces, from 69 to 75, 86, also, 93, 2015, blah, blah, blah. Like, currently. And then currently in Faces again. So seven complete bands. And I will tell you, most of the time when Rod Stewart left one of these bands, it was not as the best of friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there was definitely some creative differences going on with most of this group. Uh, yeah. It was funny. So he did. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this instead of pulling up the uh, the actual article. He did like an interview where they were talking about the Jeff Beck group, like much later on in his life. 
and he was saying like he never looked Jeff Beck in the eye. He's like he was like he was interesting to work with and things like that, but I I never felt comfortable around him. I would I never even looked him in the eye. I would always just like look at his shirt when I was talking to him. So definitely like uh, it seems like he's a little tough to get along with at times. Yeah, is the vibe that I get from the experience of Rod Stewart Seven Bands. So we'll go right down the list here. So the meanest thing that I saw that Rod Stewart had did had done early on in his life, as he was kind of discovering himself and discovering music, he was getting into like politics and things like that and he was getting into like more left-wing politics and you know sit-ins and marches and all those things and he used to use the marches to pick up chicks and sleep with them and that's what he did he would go on marches with the intent of like i'm gonna flirt and hook up with a with hook up with a girl i've actually seen that episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia (laughs) i mean Uh, that's it's just that's what he did yeah. And that's that's rough. Yeah. Uh, so there was a couple marches where that happened, uh, including like sit-ins in Trafalgar Square and Whitehall, uh, and that's what he did. And then the the meanest thing he ever did, which is what which is where we're going, in nineteen eighty or no, I'm sorry, nineteen sixty-two, he had his first serious relationship with a London art student named Susanna Balfi, and he moved to a bedsit to be near her. Uh, and then he got her pregnant and Rod and his family did not want him to get married. So they gave the baby girl up for adoption and he broke up with Susanna and left. Uh, yeah, that's a rough one. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> so now I'll get into the six degrees as Nick spoiled. Uh, so sorry. <clears throat> he was in the band Shotgun Express and <clears throat> Shotgun Express did have Peter Green and Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. And also Peter Bardens of Camel. Yeah. So a very, very six degrees of totem talks heavy band because almost all every of member have been covered. Yeah, all yeah. of them. Yeah, there we go. Uh, can I? You want to get another one real quick? I'll throw you another one. Yeah, go ahead. His and his long list of uh, relationships over the years. For for several years, he was with the Swedish actress Britt uh, Eklund. Yeah, uh, and she later married Slim Jim Phantom of Stray Cats fame. Hey, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I. Uh, Unlike Greg Allman, uh, he was only married three times. Right. So, so true. far. Yeah, true. I wonder. There's time. Uh, for more time than Greg Allman, though. Oh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. 79 to 84, 90 to 2006. Yeah, but he's got a beat already. The, <clears throat> definitely did the got married in, not in, or got divorced in 2006 and married again in 2007. Yeah. And I will say Rod is 78 uh, his current wife is 52, so a little bit yeah. of an age difference. His wife before that is only 53 now, so, right. you know, hey, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, but yeah, also a, a long list of partners, including, as yes. you mentioned, Britt Eklund. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll get into, uh, oh, I have more. Oh, there's more? What yeah, else? What I, still have, I still have his nicest moment, his career oh, highlight, and his uh, low. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did a lot. I do. I saved the meanest, nicest for last. So that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So his nicest moment actually came very recently. Uh, where Rod, I mean, he was knighted, which we'll get into. That's one of his career highlights. But he was knighted for his charity work and his stances. And in 2022, uh, he was offered a million dollars flat to perform uh, in at Qatar. Uh, And, like, flat out was, like, there's no money that's worth it performing there because of the way they have, like, their human rights issues. Good for him. So, yeah, good for Rod. Uh, That was – I figured coming off of Susanna Boffy, it should be noted that he does care about people, too, at times. Yes. Uh, Then we'll get into his career highlights. There's two of them. He was knighted by the queen. That's right there. I mean, it's – it's a prestigious honor. He was knighted in 2016 in the 2016 birthday honors for services to music and charity. And then also he is part of a list, but a smaller list of people twice inducted into the yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. both as a member of Faces and as a solo performer. Right. And uh, his low light, this isn't really a low light, but I just had this, this is a funny moment. Uh, with the Jeff Beck group, Rod had the honor of performing for the first time in America. 
And he was so scared and terrified to be on a stage in America that he had to hide behind one of the full, like the full big old monitors and was singing from behind the monitor until they got him lubed up enough with alcohol to get him out on in front of people. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So like not really a low light, but I had to mention I don't usually think of Rod Stewart as a particularly shy fellow. Right. (laughs) Which is why it's super interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, let's well, uh, let's grade them. Grade them here. I think we're looking at two artists who are going to have to do solidly uh, on this first category here of cultural impact. One sure. of which is going to do better. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Greg Allman still has a solid number. I think even you know trying to parse apart his career from the Allman Brothers fame, like his name still becomes you know at least during the seventies and eighties a household name uh, due to the fame yeah. of the band. Um, and definitely, you know, had a couple of hits, had both of his records go gold. So he, he was sustaining a little bit of popularity on his own. Um, I mean, it would be enough for me to, to just say, like, here's a guy who's a five. Um, yeah. And kind of live with that, unless you disagree. I think I think that's probably for the best. I think right around a five makes yeah. sense. You're separating the Almond Brothers, but Greg exactly. still has an impact. I think five works. Yeah. And I think Rod Stewart's number has got to be close to, like, nine. Yeah, Rod (laughs) Stewart's, I mean, he's... Incredibly popular for a long time, sustained success. Every album sells all around the world. Household name for decades and decades and decades. One of the highest-selling artists of all time. All the other honors that you mentioned. It's got to be, like, a nine. Yeah, I mean, we could talk talk about the honors. I mentioned two of his honors that he's received, but just real quick... Uh, he's received the Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music, a Legend Award for World Music Award from the World Music Awards. Uh, he received the first ever Diamond Award from the World Music Awards for over a hundred million records sold worldwide in two thousand one. Uh, multiple Grammy Awards, all like, and we could just go down the list of. He's a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame. Some, some a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I think. Getting up into the nine range makes sense. All right. Very I good. could see maybe a nine. Yeah. And I have it written down already. Yeah. Then we're going to get into the breadth of work. Uh, so for Greg Allman, we are starting with the fact that he has uh, seven studio albums. It says eight, but that's including the um, the Dwayne yeah. and Greg. It's a 5.2. He has two gold records. So his sales are going to have him kind of sit right on that five two. But I think the quality was was really rather good. Um, I might be willing to go higher than a point three if it wasn't the middle album was a little little eighties for my touch, but mm-hmm. I, I think I'm gonna give him point three. I'm gonna give him point get him up to a five and a half and then I'll let you do with sure. that well. And I <clears throat> I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Uh and I'll tell you what, for me, like start to finish through all three albums, the the second album was a little bit of a hiccup. Mm-hmm. But the 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 grace of the third album, like beginning to end, knowing what was happening, the message behind it, everything involved, like more than makes up for it. And I'm going to give him a point four. Yeah, I considered it, but I had a feeling you might go there. So five nine is where he's going to end up. I think yeah. that's well deserved. And then Rod Stewart's got thirty two albums, so he yes. is going to go ahead and start with a six point seven there. Yeah. And he has also sold approximately 120 million records. So here's where there's a moment. Yeah. Because there is multiple sources on Wikipedia itself. And I've done a little parsing in other places. Rod Stewart both has talks of 250 million albums sold and 120 million albums sold. Now, that's a 130 million album difference. And I promise you, if you combine the the album count of all seven of Rod's bands, you do not get 130 million. Absolutely, it, not. there's no possible way. Nope. So there, and and both of them have credited them as solo records. Yeah. It does, so we don't know where the other 130 million are coming from on his main page, but we're going to assume based on. Uh, the two sources, his discography page, and then the list of best-selling music artists of all time, both yeah. crediting him with 120 million. We're gonna base the 120 exactly. million. Still a phenomenal number, right? Absolutely. But we, like 
as much as I want to give Rod credit for 250 million records sold, I don't know where I, that's yeah, coming from. I don't either. So at the end of the day, when I, I do a little quick math, I think that's going to start us at around a 7.9. Yeah, I think you're correct. And I will say this for Rod, I'm going to give 0.1 less than I gave to Greg Allman because there's just a, such a severe drop off um, in the record, in the final record quality that we listened sure. to. Uh, so I gave Greg a point three. I'm going to give Rod a point two, which takes him to an eight point one, and then you can add on whatever you wish. I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to take off a point for that third album, although the last two songs were good, uh, and I'm going to give a point three because I really enjoyed the first yeah. two albums. Absolutely. So eight point four, very good. Uh, instrumental talent. This is the category where I think Greg Allman takes the edge. Um, I, I think, think you so got too. two very strong singers. I think Greg Allman, for two reasons, takes the edge. A his voice holds up better than Rod's and B he's a better instrumentalist. Like Greg Allman is a very good organist. Um, Rod Stewart played guitar on one song on all the <laughs> records that we listened to. And so Greg having one equal to, or at some points better than vocals than Rod throughout their careers. And then also just being a very strong instrumentalist himself. I think both of these guys can be above average and I have no issue with that, but Greg's score is going to be like a half point better for me, at least here. I agree more of the of more of what you're saying in terms of his like instrumental musicianship than I necessarily do with Greg being the better singer, but that's fine. I think they're about equal, all things considered. But I think um, I think Rod Stewart has the more unique voice, which is always more pleasing to my ear. Fair enough. I think, but again, that's totally that's a subjective part. We both recognize they're both very talented. Yeah, and I do agree with you that Greg Allman gets the edge. He has to in terms of being a multi instrumentalist in a stronger way. Yeah. Uh, So, Um, what number are you thinking of for Greg? I'm okay with Greg. um, Probably somewhere in the sixes. Sure. I think that's totally fair because his vocals are definitely above average. His his organ playing is definitely above average. Maybe even like a six and a half. You know what? That's hilarious. Because I was just about to say, my floor for Rod as a vocalist is a six. Sure. And you said you wanted to give Greg a half a point extra. Yeah. So we've we've done that without so even having to think about it. And that works really well. Songwriting, I think, again, uh, is a little interesting. I think in terms of, it, it's tough to say. Both these artists both have, you know, handfuls of covers on all the records. But I think they both do a nice job making them very original, making them very much their own. It, <laughs> I think I like Greg stylistically a little bit more. Like I'm more into things like the Allman Brothers than Rod Stewart, but I think they're yeah. both good. I mean, I think I, I think we're above average here again for both of these. I guys. think so too. I do want to uh, make a point. This I don't even know if this necessarily takes away anything based on the sheer number of albums. But in the '90s, <clears throat> Rod Stewart basically for a while swore off making original music sure yeah yeah changing the covers because he just said his original music for the last few years hadn't been received as well uh which was just a you know that happens artists who are more famous in a decade kind of dwindle as time goes that happened to rod stewart uh in terms of his sales at a time you're right and so he started doing some covers yeah a lot of and then had the resurgence with the songbook album yeah. So I think overall, I would say out of the 30 plus albums of Rod Stewart, 32 probably, albums, yeah. we're looking at probably like 17 that include 17 or 18. So about maybe mm-hmm. about half. Sure. A little more than half that have. Uh, yeah, it's interesting looking through them now. A bunch as you of that, like he does a cover of Oasis's Cigarettes and Alcohol. Which he is did, a, he did a, an album in the nine in like 98 that mm-hmm. was uh, pure covers of songs like that of oasis covers and and things like that yeah that's which is all cool. interesting oh, he also stuff. covers ooh la la by faces on that record <laughs> good good interesting anyway so just kind of tempering of day, that from i think like we're a gonna 30 at, album to a i think we're looking album. at two scores in the fives i mean my instinct is again to give a little bit of an edge to greg but maybe that gets canceled out by the vol- sheer volume of of output. which i think is the correct answer there yeah i think Pure quality over quantity, it's probably Greg Allman. But I think the quantity also is important. And I think yeah. they get very similar scores here. I would say the sure. high fives, I could even see a low six yeah, number here. I was both I mean, I could see it how happening. About a, how about a five nine? Let's give them both a five nine. I dig it. 
Uh, and then poetic. This is going to be lower. This is going to be lower um, in terms of covers. It's going to be lower also because you know some of it. It just doesn't need to be like intricate lyrically. But I don't think that they were necessarily slouching either. Like I definitely no. wouldn't have given either of these artists anything below average. Um, I agree. I thought the lyrical content was always solid. It was it was always a good part of the song, if not necessarily like a standout part of the song. Uh, and at the end of the day, that might put me in the five range. It might be like they each had one really good reflective set of lyrics on their last record. And that's always mm. nice. That that might be worth a five one. Yeah, I I think I think. But then again, Rod also wrote all the other lyrics on his last album. And that's like, oh, that's not great. <laughs> Those weren't good. It's true. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. Uh. Um. But there were so many more albums for Rod as well. Very true. And I think that's kind of what it boils down to is, again, we're talking yeah. the, the the sheer quantity of, of songs written by Rod Stewart. And some of his bigger hits were he has writing credits on, which is important. It's an important yeah. part of it. Yeah, I'm fine giving them both a 5-1. Putting them okay. both above that average number, neither one of them are, you know, Shakespeare. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the uh, X Factor here. I'm not a hundred percent at necessarily with this. I think it's possible, um, like throws for for as just like a as an actor. Maybe that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Like I mentioned, he was on Tales from the Crypt. Um, yeah. He also was in the film Rush uh, and Rush Week, and also did played himself in Family Guy and. Uh, like little things like that, um, but that's pretty much all. I, I mean, also he was very famously married to Cher. We didn't get into that at all, but like his oh yeah, we did not. By far, his, his most famous thing yeah. that he did in his love life, his personal life, was being married to Cher for three years. That's true, um, and that was a big deal at the time. So I don't know if any of that's actually worth anything, but it's a, it's throwing it throwing it out there. Yeah, I think I think we. <laughs> It's tough because these are both people who could easily yeah. get an X factor, and, and for he's things. very adjacent to tragedy. That's true, you know, like he with multiple members of the Allman Brothers band dying so young. Yeah, um, but that I mean, it wasn't him directly. I mean, that's more, that feels more like the points we gave to the Allman Brothers at the time. I agree. Um, you know, <sighs> you know what? I think we'll get. Let's give Greg. For a couple of those early things, the acting career things, we'll give him a point two. All right, I think that's just a little, a little bit, but we don't want to give him any of the Almond Brothers points. Exactly. And I mean, for Rod, honestly, we gave him a lot of his points early on. In You're that, right. In that initial, in that initial couple points there, mm-hmm. I have, I have a hard time. I mean, maybe looking at his, maybe we give him like a point one. Because okay. looking at his awards and recognition, like he does have the first ever Diamond Award I mean, from I the World think, Music Awards. I do think being in the Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame more than once is something, too. Yeah, okay. You know what? That's a great point as well. I think those are both really good. He has a, a smattering of Lifetime Achievement Awards. Yeah. Uh, James Brown called him music's best white soul singer, which I thought I was it. an interesting compliment. That's, that's, that, I mean, I think that I would, if I was him, I would... You know that would be very high acclaim. Yeah, I'd be honored I, to have James Brown say something agree. like that. Uh, so let's let's give them both a point two. Okay, only a point two for all that. Even the double rock and roll Hall of Fame. Ah, oh, you're right. Let's give him I a was point give five. A half. Yeah, let's I give him a full half. Point. You're right. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, I think we can see where this is going to end up. But a really good week and a solid matchup of of two yeah. really good scores, two really good artists. Uh, and of course, winning this week with a thirty-four point nine winner, winner, chicken dinner is Rod Stewart. So just under the thirty-five mark, and Greg Allman um, starting at a bit of a disadvantage just in terms of his his sales and his sheer number of albums. A really good showing of twenty-eight point six. A very good showing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and very, very good music. I couldn't recommend Greg's solo career enough. You know what? A real quick fun fact about Rod Stewart I would that love I to hear it. that just clicked in my head: thirty-two albums, right? Right, right. One Grammy Award, fifteen nominations, hmm. and the Grammy Award he won was for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album for 
the great American Songbook Volume yeah, Three. Right. Crazy. I mean, that's just such a wild thing to think of. Sure. Like, such a storied career, household name, song after song, fame, platinum records, one Grammy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Um, so anyway, join us again, uh, of course, next week, because we're going to be looking uh, at a couple of female-led groups from the alternative rock, indie rock world, uh, and put, pinning them up against each other. So Cool, cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Totem Talks. Thanks for sticking around for our slightly altered format as we're getting into the swing of it. I'm really enjoying it. I don't know about oh, you. Yeah. I think the head-to-head with like us delving a little deeper separately into like each picking an artist I think has really worked out because I agree. It keeps us entertained as well during the episode of finding out those moments or, you know, as you did this episode ruthlessly spoiling those Absolutely. moments. Absolutely. <laughs> totally unintentional. Yeah, of course. Uh anyway, uh, without any further ado, while you're all listening and having a great time, leaving comments and reviewing, have a great day. <laughs>